If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be deceptively identical. And here is why. In this episode, we're going to find some answers to can mimics be more than just a cruel gotcha joke to be sprung on players? And what key elements are needed in a mimic encounter to help them feel satisfying? And what are some additional properties we could give to mimics to make them a truly interesting threat? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So I think this is one of those topics that we align on. Mimics suck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Why do mimics suck? Because they are the trap that you don't know about. They are the monster equivalent of just dealing damage to your players. Fair enough. For yeah. no, With no warning, for no reason. They're not logical. They just exist, and they do damage when you don't expect it. Just like how I've been accused of being a mimic of you before. <laughs> we look vaguely similar. Yeah. Yes. It's frustrating, so I do damage to people without warning. Which one of us is the poorer version of the copy? Which one of us is actually hollow and just has teeth inside? Well, that's definitely me. <laughs> That's fair. Well, truthfully, though, mimics are the monster equivalent of a joy buzzer in terms of, you know, a joke is a setup and a punchline and, a you know, a building rising action. That's the building blocks of a great joke. Mimics are the joy buzzer of a joke, you know, in air quotes, which is you had no setup. You had no warning. Yeah. There is nothing going on here. Zap, look at you. You look like an idiot because you got your head stuck in a treasure chest with teeth. Here's the reward that you're supposed to get for being an adventurer. <laughs> I'm going to take this reward away from you and look, make you look like an asshole. <laughs> because you trusted me. Yes, absolutely. They're the perfect tool for the antagonistic DM. <laughs> that just wants to kick their players in the face as they play this wonderful game. I think that is doing them a little bit of disservice because they do have roots in classic D&D. Like, they go back a long way. This is a classic monster. But to your point, I think it goes back to a time and a place where DMs were the antagonists. They're not co-storytellers in this wonderful role-playing game that we play today, yeah. they were, it was players against the DM, and it was the DM's job to literally try to kill those players at every <laughs> turn. And so this was a great tool in that tool set of, hey, I've got a monster that can't be seen or smelt or heard, or, you know, it's just going to munch, and it's going to do some wicked damage, and then we'll move on, and I'll continue to try to kill you. Yep, every second chest you run into be a mimic. Mimics. <laughs> the other challenge is that DMs that use a mimic end up creating hyper-suspicious players. Yes. Like, players that have encountered a mimic once 
will slow the game down to a snail's pace. I've seen a couple of these kind of unfold on Reddit before where a DM says, help, I've used a mimic and now my players won't stop poking <laughs> everything with a pole. Yeah. It's slowing the game down. It's not an adventure anymore. It's a cautious, fearful <laughs> exploration. Yeah. So all of these challenges, how do we fix them? Well, we've definitely got some ideas that we want to share, but I think you just have to give the party something to work with when you include a mimic in your game. Mimics are broken because there's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no logic. There's no warnings. <laughs> there's nothing. They're just a weird-ass monster. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's see if we can unpack some of that in the strategy state room. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Well, before we get into how to improve the despised mimic, we despise them, sorry if you don't, <laughs> um, we should probably do a bit of a refresher. So the mimic is a medium monstrosity. It is real strong. It is real dumb. <laughs> and it's not that charismatic, surprisingly. Weirdly enough, <laughs> the strange box that has sat in the dungeon for 700 years doesn't have a lot of social skills. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fine madam. I'm here to eat you and your friends. <laughs> I want to do an adventure with a really well-spoken, very charismatic <laughs> mimic. May you please accompany yourself into my mouth. <laughs> and your delicious meats. Its traits are that it's a shape changer. Mimic can use its action to polymorph into an object or back into its true amorphous form. Its statistics are the same. Any equipment it's wearing or carrying isn't transformed. It reverts to its true form if it dies. It is also adhesive. It sticks to anything that it touches. This means that a creature that touches it is also grappled by it and has a tough time getting out. It's got a false appearance, of course. While it remains motionless, it is indistinguishable from an ordinary object. And finally, it's a grappler. The mimic has advantage on attack rolls against any creature grappled by it. So a couple of things to kind of point out in there. A, the false appearance thing. This is not a scenario where I can just like really closely study a particular object and go, now that's a mimic. It is indistinguishable. There's no save to notice whether or not it's a mimic. Yeah, no natural 20 on a investigation check is going to tell you that thing's a mimic. And beyond that, you know, the whole going back to the poke it with a stick and find out if it's a mimic, the mimic has to basically break its false appearance ability in order to give any hint that it is in fact a mimic. It can sit there and get jabbed by a stick all day long until it actually takes damage and it gets into a combat. It's not necessarily going to give any impression that it is in fact a mimic. Well, I mean, not that it's a good strategy because like you said, if you're poking everything with a stick, then it's kind of a weird adventure. But <laughs> that's the understatement of the year. <laughs> It does have that adhesive quality. So if you poke it with a stick, the stick sticks to it. Fair enough. Not in the way that a stick sticks, but in a sticky kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> a 
say that five times fast. <laughs> that makes sense. And the last detail is that its actions are its pseudopod, melee weapon, reaches out and slaps you with a big hunk of whatever it is. Well, because it's amorphous. Like, it yeah. doesn't have a shape. It's a shapeless, blobby booger that can shape itself into stuff that looks normal. Booger trap. All right. Well, if we want to try to improve this monster in some way, shape, or form, we need a structure. I'm feeling some kind of structure. Yeah. What are the steps to fixing a mimic? Well, we're going to identify its key features that we want to use or improve. That's step one. We want to find a way to actually foreshadow this without breaking its whole purpose. Mm. Step two. And we want to give it a reason to exist in the world. Otherwise, it's just cheap as shit. A very important step three. So let's break down each one of those steps. So let's start with the identify the key features. It polymorphs to assume the form of any object. Its true form is an amorphous blob. Its false form is indistinguishable from an ordinary object, like you said. It's adhesive when it's in that false form, and it's got the bite and pseudopod attacks. That's what we're working with. Well, there's so much to play with here. So the amorphous blob, when it is trying to escape, it can slip under doors. It can go all over the place. It can, you know, reconstitute itself into some new shape yes. at will. If you were to, say, chase something like this, it could go around a corner and immediately it's something else. Very true. Whether it be rocks in a dungeon or a tree outside. Amorphous form is very poorly defined, which I think is on purpose, so you can get as playful as you want with that. But, I mean, could it just puddle itself? I don't see why not. Yeah. I mean, it can shape itself even around certain things. So the only restriction here, really, is just that it takes an action to do so. If we have cobblestone streets, any one of those cobbles could be a mimic. Mm -hmm. If we have a wall... You know, it can create itself a false wall in a room. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, it's not only hiding a secret behind it, but it's indistinguishable from the rest of the room. It's a broom that's leaning up in a shopkeeper's shop. It's a mustache. Dear God. <laughs> what, like you wake up with a new mustache? <laughs> no, if you're in an area with a lot of people with mustaches. The I'm trying to understand the symbiotic relationship that you've proposed between a man and his mimic mustache. Yeah, yeah. It could be uh, mutually beneficial. How so? <laughs> he cannot grow facial hair, and therefore he's decided to feed his mimic mustache a little yeah, yeah, yeah. morsel or so two. So you got Goliaths, which can't normally grow facial hair, right? That's kind of a new weapon. The Goliath just throws his mustache at his, at his enemies. <laughs> this is like a Ron Pro. This is a Ron Popeil kind of like hair growth system. Have you tried mimics? Can you not grow your own hair? <laughs> Train them. Train them to feed, not eat you. Feed your hair on occasion, <laughs> and it can be any style, any time. That was a diversion that had no basis in what we were talking about. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but yes, it can be any range of objects. If you want to talk about the rules, there's no actual defined size of object either. That's another tricky bit right there, is what could be a mimic? Like, I've read adventures where the mimic was the ship 
that the players were sailing on. Yeah, sticky ship, to be sure. (laughs) The capabilities of a particular object, can it involve gears? Can it involve sails, lufting sails that actually propel a ship forward? Yeah, or can it rearrange its molecular structure to be lighter or heavier? Who says it can't? If it is taking the form of the classic chest, do the hinges make a hingy sound, or does it have to make the hingy sound? <laughs> These are important questions that we're getting to the bottom of. Here. Absolutely. That's the most important takeaway from this episode. <laughs> does it make the hingy sound? <laughs> All right. Well, step two is, and this is arguably, Jord, the most important step, which is foreshadowing. Yes. Because again, the entire problem that we have with mimics is that it doesn't do this. So if you want to include it in a way that the party feels like it's a a fun part of your adventure, not a gotcha part of your adventure, you have to foreshadow. The party's got to know something going in. And it can be super subtle. I mean, a mimic is really good at hiding itself. I think you could do a lot with this. The more subtle, the better. But the players at the table have to have some sense that things are out of sorts. And the point of doing this isn't to make sure that they find out it's a mimic before they encounter it, but it's just so that once they've encountered it and fought it and the fight's over, they think to themselves, oh, I could have seen this coming. Gotcha. There has to be some way. That's a really important distinction there. I agree. We are not trying to give away that it is, in fact, a mimic. There's just the players at the table, not necessarily the characters, the party, but the players at the table have to have some sense that something is going wrong. If they do not, and they've lived through this mimic encounter, having no knowledge, they are legally allowed to flip off the DM (laughs) with no repercussions. Table flip and walk out. (laughs) (laughs) So in that vein, you could play around with the fact that mimics aren't smart enough to perfectly replicate things in the place that they should be. I mean, if we're going with that classic chest, yeah, of course, the chest is going to be in a weird place. But let's say that they're doing a door instead. Well, it looks exactly like a door, but it doesn't eliminate a door to put itself there. So is it in front of another door in the corridor? I like where you're going with this. Is it one foot above where it should be? Like it doesn't quite meet the floor. Oh, okay. It's just like a foot, foot and a half. Why wouldn't they put steps here? Any normal architect would make sure that there was a ramp or steps. Why are we having to step up towards this door? (laughs) Something has to be wrong with the situation. Yeah. Or you've got the fact that mimics probably aren't geniuses when it comes to covering up the scene of the crime oh yeah no they're no dexter they're not they're not laying down (laughs) plastic sheets they're just munching yeah maybe licking up some of the blood but it's certainly not gonna be yeah so if you catch one before it moves on it's still gonna be whatever it was but it would be in the middle of a bloody scene so mimics have a five intelligence right this is barely above like animals like Wolves have an intelligence of five, or roughly thereabouts. I know I'm probably (laughs) going to get somebody shooting me a message like, by the way, wolves are... But mimics are not tremendously smart. So would they just keep going with a particular ruse that's already working? Right. 
works once, do it again. Yeah. So we've got rib cages and all kinds of stuff that surrounds a door. We've got bones. We've got detritus. Just a, a grisly scene. And there's blood all over the walls. But that door is pristine. And the way you make it seem like it's not the door, because of course, yeah, I hear you thinking that, is, well, if there could be some other dangerous creature here, then it's the leavings of that creature, the owl bear that's behind the <laughs> weird door that it made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's not the perfect example. But <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to go really subtle with it, Maybe it does clean up a lot of its mess, but it just doesn't finish the job. So you've got like a molar. Ew. Yeah. Oh, just a random tooth in a hallway. Yeah. Gross. That ain't good. Or a toe. All right. Nail. (laughs) All right. So we have to give it a reason to exist. Yes. Our third step. Because that's one thing that's always truly bothered me about the Mimic is it usually goes into a dungeon adventure with the reason of it's just there. And it's really hard to justify why it's just there. Well, the backstory of mimics were that they were created by some rogue wizard at some point in history. Who the hell knows how they multiply? Yeah. But they do. Get where they are. Or get where they are. Or just like, why do they decide to get where they end up? Yeah. So it really comes down to, is it in its habitat? Why did it get here? What are the elements or evidence that it is here or why it's here? So going back to our grizzly scene, its primary function is not to eat adventurers. And that's kind of the problem that I've always had with a mimic becoming a treasure chest. Right. Is that denotes that this thing has said, you know what? I'm going to use my pseudopod form. I'm going to go behind this locked puzzle door. I'm going to worm my way down about five or six levels inside this dungeon. And then I'm going to disguise myself as the only creature that wanders these halls. Rat's favorite thing, a treasure chest. (laughs) It cannot, rats cannot resist a random treasure chest. And then I'm going to wait maybe for five or 600 years for an adventurer to come and go, ooh, I wonder what's inside there. Yeah. Like it, none of it makes any sense. Right. Unless you've got like theme park level attendance of adventurers to this dungeon. (laughs) In which case, don't go into that dungeon because nobody's made it out. You're getting in a queue where there's only a lineup going in, but not coming out. Now, a mimic becoming some kind of turnstile. <laughs> now we've got something. <laughs> there you go. That'll definitely work. So I think for me, this really comes down to thinking about where it set itself up, why it set itself up there. Did it understand that adventures are coming? So this is where I start, again, to have some problems with mimics. Their intelligence is really low. So why treasure chests? Yeah. Why tables? Why all of these various other things if it can't, you know, it has basic competency? Well, I think if we at least tell a little bit of a story around, you know, a door kind of makes sense. A fairly unintelligent creature might go into a dungeon filled with doors and go, I'll be another door. Yeah. A mimic in a natural habitat where there's a whole bunch of just wild animals rolling around is going to go, well, there's rocks everywhere. 
I'm going to be a rock. Yeah, maybe a rock with some lichen on it if these deer are licking the rocks. Yeah. So that makes a lot more sense to me. And I would, as an adventurer, kind of pause my what reaction for a little bit longer if some of these things were thought about. If, if it seems like this thing is kind of existing in a natural habitat, it makes so much more sense. It doesn't kind of break my immersion. And I can accept a mimic for more than just a DM cruel trick. Yeah. So you're saying to make it into some of those inconspicuous objects. If an adventurer steps on a cobblestone in a high traffic where monsters are usually roaming, rats and cats and dogs and deer throughout this labyrinthine maze of a dungeon, then I can imagine that cobblestone grabbing a goblin every now and again and going, num, num, num. Right. The treasure chest that never gets opened, that potentially holds a treasure (laughs) from Aeon's past, I cannot get behind. Right. Unless it's identifying the adventurer, which is hard to do with a five intelligence. Yeah. I think it'd be even good if a mimic was in a goblin environment or a kobold environment or whatever dungeon you're in. If it's been there for a bit and it's gotten a couple goblins, maybe those goblins are even like staying away from that chamber because they Mm. don't know what's doing it. But it's almost like the, the situation with the monkeys where they're like, stop, don't go for that because something bad happens when you go in there. Generations have learned that that room contains something bad. Yeah. Nobody comes out of it. But once in a while, a goblin still goes in enough to <laughs> feed the mimic. <laughs> yeah. It's sustaining itself on yeah. the occasional, you know, every couple of years, a goblin goes, no, I'm going to find out what's inside there. Well, you're just going to prove the point for generations to come. (laughs) They've got some kind of a goblin warning tape across that door. Well, and that goes all the way back to foreshadowing. Yes. If the adventurers encounter a room that doesn't have evidence of goblins trying to make a home in it, or it doesn't have evidence that they tried to pry open the door so there's a whole bunch of pry marks on it, they just know to stay the hell away from that room. So there's little things that we can do that makes things kind of peculiar. And that's all we're trying to do for our adventurers is just make sure that they understand something's Something is different. slightly off. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so mimics can be good in those random little scenarios where they might exist. But like any monster, it should be able to fit into any kind of adventure, whether it be a campaign or a one-shot, or just fitting into an actual adventurer's goals in some way. It sounds to me like you have some idea. Well, I think it's good to think about these things because they can exist in more scenarios than a weird offshoot from the dungeon as a random object. Sure. So in a campaign, for example, I mean, if you wanted to make a whole campaign around a mimic, how could that be done? Well, I think it depends on the kind of vibe that you want to go for, because I could very easily see using a mimic in a murder mystery. I could see using it in a bit of a, a horror setting. Absolutely. I could s- like, there's so many different options here. If you wanted to make the mimic the antagonist of a story and go for more of a horror vibe where it's a true monster, then maybe you could have mimic outbreaks keep cropping up in your world and eventually they lead back to the existence of a massive mimic that just keeps breaking a piece off of itself to create new mimics dear god 
That's quite the climax fight. Yeah, like I could build an entire adventure around that. And your final dungeon is literally the mimic. You're in it. I could see going into a bit of a murder mystery where, say, like maybe two rival gangs are fighting one another, where they've hired a neutral party to investigate. And the party can go from gang to gang and keep questioning each person and following them. And now they're hunting them and what's going on only to find maybe their prime suspect gets eaten by the mimic that has taken up residence (laughs) on competing turf. Okay, yeah. So every single time somebody tries to get it over, now all of a sudden the mimic got them. Yeah, and it keeps creating more and more tension between these gangs. Exactly. Totally. Or, I mean, I think mystery fits really well because it's hard to figure out what's behind murders. So instead of gangs, you could do like uh, even nobles. A noble is using a mimic for his own nefarious purposes. So maybe a high-value noble has gone missing, but before their disappearance, they were starting to get really paranoid about attempts on their life. Of course, there's no evidence available on the scene. They lock themselves in some kind of a high-security room, but now the party has to figure out what killed them. I like that, yeah. You know, no signs of forced entry, but the person's gone missing. You know, it feels very, like, cop drama. We got to get to the bottom of this. Turns out that somebody eliminated a rival with a mimic inside their locked hotel room. Yeah. It was the painting on the wall the whole time. And the the clue that gives it away is that there's a little bit of dust around a frame that's now gone. Nice. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. That's Something good. Something was here. Yeah. One more quick, fun little idea for a, a mimic adventure, just because it's it's awesome. When they are random and at the very tail end, I know they're going to be good. <laughs> All right. What's your adventure idea, Jared? Well, you remember Aladdin uh, when he's told to go into the big lion's mouth and just touch the one thing. Vaguely, it's been many years since I've seen (laughs) Aladdin, but... You should recap your Aladdin watching. Uh, All right, all right, all right, yes. There's a big tiger head in the desert. He goes in, touch only the lamp, crazy old coot. Yeah. Got it. There's wild treasure everywhere, but he can only touch the lamp. And in the movie, when his little monkey friend touched it, the whole place started erupting and it was bad for them. Sure. But what if all that other treasure was just mimics? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. That's brilliant. So you're winding <laughs> your way past mountains of stuff. Yeah. Whatever the party wants. You know, all that stuff they've been talking about. And they're supposed to just go to the item at the end, get it, and bring it back. Yeah. And if anyone, it's like a room full of mouse traps. As soon as somebody <laughs> yes. sets one off, the rest of the mimics are like, feeding time. <laughs> yeah, that could get really bad really quick. And it's definitely a gotcha encounter, I admit. <laughs> but it's one to put on your greedy party when they're getting a little too much. <laughs> yeah, when they're getting a little treasure crazy. I like it. Uh, yeah, it's dickish. But hey, at least it's a unique idea around mimics. Yeah. All right, so to recap the steps, we want to identify those key features. Think about your monster, think about a mimic, and think a lot about what they would do. Because next, step two, we want to foreshadow, make sure that the players understand that they are in some level of danger. Because if they do not, if they have no sense, then you got a pissed off party. Yeah. And finally, step three, give it a reason to exist Root it in the world, anchor it there, in the environment, 
because that will help you foreshadow just that much easier. Very true. All right. Moving on to Lamashtu's breeding pit, where we're going to introduce some new ideas for these nasty little monsters. I can't wait. This is Lamashtu's breeding pit, where the most vile and deadly of creatures are birthed and unleashed upon doomed adventurers. All right, so we've established that a good mimic imitates a chest because that's what adventurers want. Sure. Sure, that's the assumption anyways. <laughs> so we're going to make a couple modifications to mimics that makes them a little more fun than that. So the problem, again, if we assume that mimics are going to become chests, then we have to assume that mimics kind of know what adventurers want and what they do. So why then... Can mimics not understand that very often adventurers seem to travel in groups of anywhere between three and six people? <laughs> yes. So why would I pick a fight that is very clearly, unfairly, not advantageous enough to me? So we want to give them the ability to single out these adventurers, which to go down this path requires that we change the actual mimic a little bit. Which I think you and I have never really shied away from changing the core of a particular monster. <laughs> no. So the first thing that I would do to a mimic is make it smarter. Right. Because again, if it can mimic these things, then it's got to be somewhat smart. And it can do a lot of different things if it's somewhat smart. I think uh, maybe an intelligence of a, around 8 to 10 might give it that advantage that it needs to actually hold its own against some adventurers. If we give it the ability to control when it becomes adhesive, that opens up a lot of possibilities as well. That's downright dangerous. Absolutely. You mean I would poke the chest with a stick and it would make the sound of a wooden trunk yeah. like it's supposed to? With its mouth. Thud, thud. <laughs> <laughs> you just see the little <laughs> side lips open. Yeah. <laughs> well, that brings up a really good point. The last thing that I would change is it can also mimic sounds and smells. Right. Other senses it can play with. So doing these three things takes a mimic from just being one thing that attacks when it's touched to a pretty interesting monster that can do a lot of different stuff. So if we start with that adhesiveness trait, if it can decide when to use that, that means it can be picked up and carried somewhere else. See, that's brilliant. That's downright dangerous because now it can mimic an ornate rusty sword or something like that. Something that maybe players would go, oh, like I can't quite use that right now because I think maybe the jig might be up if a party member tried to like use the ornate rusty sword and is like, actually, this thing's really dull. I'm just going to give it a good old sharpen. <laughs> that mimic's not going to enjoy that very rough stone <laughs> massage. Not. Or if it's a new sword, they might actually try and use it, and all of a sudden it becomes <laughs> flubbery when you go to stab the goblin with it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm thinking ornate so it looks good, rusty so that you can't use it quite now, and, well, even if players try to magically identify it, I mean, magic created it? So we might be able to explain why with, say, an identify spell. I don't know. We'll, we'll play with that one a little bit more. But the point being 
is that if players do the right things, they discover it's a mimic. If they don't do the right things and they just get their greedy little paws on it and throw it in their bag, <laughs> well, now all of a sudden this mimic is waiting yeah. because it's now a smarter mimic than base mimics are. It's waiting until it's alone with the adventurer that took it in the tavern in room that they've rented. It is waiting for that adventure to now fall asleep. Yeah, which leads to a fun encounter still when that party member is kind of losing it and everyone else is trying to figure out what's going on. They run to their aid. Yeah, still a lot of fun. Or in that same vein, it could be just any kind of valuable. Like it could just be a gemstone, Mm. the thing that's supposed to be in the chest. Yeah. And if you've got like a rogue, that of course the rogue's going to take it because rogues be greedy. (laughs) And... Probably not even tell the party, if we're being honest. (laughs) Yes, this works best if you're in that kind of a situation. And then they're out scouting ahead or something like that, using their stealth to their advantage. And they're sitting on the outskirts of an orc encampment. Lining up the perfect, perfect sneak attack critical. Yeah, going to do something badass. And then all of a sudden, their gemstone latches onto their head. (laughs) That's a bummer. It's crawled outside of their backpack, their sneaky little jewel thief backpack, and is now munching on their noggin. I love it. And it's such poetic justice for that (laughs) shithead rogue that keeps taking stuff without the party's knowledge. I love this. This is the ultimate DM revenge. Don't forget to foreshadow. I mean, maybe the backpack shakes a little once (laughs) (laughs) for no discernible reason. Well, speaking of getting players into places where they shouldn't be, what about places where they should be? If a smart mimic knew that players make camp at night, well, now all of a sudden that mimic's becoming a tent. Because it wants to strike when the party is vulnerable. Absolutely. Yeah. And... What better way to feed than to have your food literally just walk inside your mouth and then fall asleep? All you need to do is chew. Especially if it's struck before. So if there's a campfire made that somebody else made and it took that person out in this location, then it's definitely drawn in a group of adventurers passing by. Oh, hey, we came across a camp. It's the perfect place. There's already the stones have already been arranged in a nice tight little circle. (laughs) They got some logs. It looks perfect. And here's some foreshadowing for this one is if there's a few tools still there or maybe a little food. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, cool. This is handy. Why did they take this though? That's kind of odd. Weird. Let me just crawl into this tent. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for some shut eye. (laughs) Well earned. So we also gave the mimic the ability to mimic sounds curious what kind of sounds could a mimic make that would cause players to go and investigate well you've got the classic of classics which is just someone yelling for help an innocent sounding humanoid yeah i'm innocent help me (laughs) my innocence is pure please (laughs) i have a noble heart (laughs) well this almost boils over into some horror territory because i would imagine a party of players would start to think that a place was haunted if it heard like an infant crying in the distance through some, you know, echoey passageways. Especially when it shouldn't be there. Exactly. Shouldn't be infants here. Why? Why is there an infant crying (laughs) in a dungeon? And only to find the sound emanating from a room and to find the room empty. Yeah. 
why? Or when the mimic gets a little confused and it starts going, help me, I'm an innocent infant. <laughs> I'm a darned baby. <laughs> I can't protect myself from the dangers of this dungeon. Well, going back to the doors, this was something that kind of challenged me a long time ago, is why is every door in the dungeon already closed? Why do I have to open all the doors? Very uh, diligent inhabitants. <laughs> Always close the door behind you, <laughs> lock it, and latch it. There's a little signs everywhere that say that. Always close the door. <laughs> well, guy with a thumbs up. <laughs> Safety's up to you and me. No wandering monsters. Yeah. Well, what about a door creaking? If a door is ajar in some dungeon somewhere, yeah. I'm going to be a lot less suspicious of that door if it is, in fact, open rather than closed. I'm going to walk through a door. And right. I've seen DMs use mimics as doors before. Well, a great way to lure somebody is to hear a door creak. You hear a creaking door, shit. We're not alone. Yeah. There's something else down here. Let's take it one step at a time. Rather than coming to the door that is closed going, that's probably a mimic, I'm going to see a door slightly ajar that probably just made that creak sound, and I'm going to walk straight towards it and slowly push it open. Yeah. You're not assuming it's trapped if somebody or something just went through it. Exactly. But you can still foreshadow that with, you know, maybe the ranger can tell that there's no footsteps leading up to it. Oh, so it must be a more stealthy creature, you might think. But then, in hindsight, mimic still makes sense. Yeah. What about the sound of blacksmithing? Hmm. That could almost put our adventurers at ease. Somebody clearly, you know, you hear that clank, 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 clank in the background. Well, somebody's hard at work in this dungeon. <laughs> it's not uninhabited. Somebody has made a home down here. No monsters. They must be blacksmithing, so they're clearly some intelligent, sophisticated race. I think we can let our guards down just a titch. But if you want to keep their guards up and, again, make it creepy, then introduce sounds of other civilized behavior. Dinner? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like that would be out of place and pretty unsettling if you heard like the sounds of a, a kitchen or the sounds of a marketplace or just like sounds it encountered somewhere on its journey here. Hell no. Yeah. I'm already out. Yeah. I'm creeped out <laughs> wandering through a darkened dungeon. And then you layer on the ability to mimic smells. So the smoke or that tasty food from the dinner party. This yeah, yeah. Weirdly, what is happening down here? I don't understand any of this. Spiced orange truffles. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't necessarily want to get into the specifics of how it's mimicking smells. Is there some kind of orifice that it is ejecting? Oh, gross. <laughs> It's like an infuser. It's just sitting there bubbling all day. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty nasty. I don't don't think about how. Just do it. <laughs> it's it's clearly <laughs> farting. There's an obvious fart joke there. But we don't stoop to right. such a lowbrow humor such as fart jokes, so we're gonna move right past it. <laughs> well, we've got nowhere else to move. I mean, end on a fart joke is what they say about <laughs> podcasts, right? End on a high note. <laughs> Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. We certainly hope that 
this helps your next mimic in some way. And if it does, please let us know because we love that stuff. Yeah, we want to know how your encounter went down. Has your DM ever pulled something like this on you and you said, hey, I actually didn't feel like flipping them off after this encounter. (laughs) Give us the details. Yeah. And yeah, however else you've discovered that mimics can actually work pretty well. You can send any of those ideas along to us. You can find us, obviously, on YouTube. You can find us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join the community of players and DMs on our Discord. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening And and save me. I'm your infant son. I'm your baby boy. (laughs) I'm not saving that. I'm stabbing it. <laughs>